permission given to me by Woody Shaw, Sunship, Dizzy, and John Kahn, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my music heroes. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Folks, welcome inside the Paris Sea Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming to you live on Power Talk, please go to our website, powertalk.live, download our free app, stream all of our live local shows, including Solomon on Blast and the Jim Parisi Show and the Jake Feinberg Show. And we appreciate you taking your t- taking the time today to check us out. And without further ado, I want to bring in a friend of the program and a decorated sports journalist, Roy Firestone. Welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. How are you? Oh, it's great to hear your voice, man. How are you? I'm glad to be here. You know, I also would love if you if you need to talk about it, talk about music, a lot about music, jazz, uh, particularly rock and roll in the British invasion era. I'd love to talk about that stuff. But I know we're going to talk a little bit about Rick Barry today, correct? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, you know, you gave me that window. I, I'm be more than happy to to keep stretch it out if you want to. But uh, but, sure. yeah, you know, and yeah, let's just get into it. I, you know, let me. You know, from your perspective, stepping back, when do you remember, do you have any memories of when Rick Barry made his stand when he decided to hold out, uh, leave the NBA to join the ABA? Of course, sure. First of all, I went to the University of Miami, and of course, did so did Rick. He's one of only two players to have their number retired at Miami. Um, All-American, in fact, as you probably know, I don't know if you've mentioned this yet, the only player in the history of basketball to lead the NCAA in scoring, the ABA in scoring, and the NBA in scoring. Wow. So when when he went to the NBA as a member of the Warriors in the early 70s, I believe, 19, I want to say 70, maybe 69, 70, he, uh, he was the second pick overall, a tremendous player, but he, as, and we'll talk about this, he was unhappy, as he usually was on some level as a player almost anywhere he went. He was unhappy with the Warriors underpaying him. The ABA was just forming. And uh, the Oakland Oaks, owned by uh, singer Pat Boone, of all people. (laughs) By the way, I've talked to Pat Boone about this, and he's got a great memory of the whole ABA experience. But Pat Boone offered him um, more money. Um, He decided to jump. He was one of the very first players ever who was an established NBA star to go to the ABA. He could have been the, you know, most important player early on to jump, and he did. Uh, he played. He, he wanted to play for the Oakland Oaks, which is another Oakland franchise, so it wasn't very far to go. Um, but the, the courts decided that he needs to stay put for a year, so he had to sit out for a year until they figured out the contract because it had never been done before. So the first year, uh, as a member of the Oakland Oaks, Rick Barry was – the color commentator for the Oakland Oaks for a full season. So he did radio. And remember, the Oakland Oaks didn't draw particularly well. They drew about 2,500 fans a game. So here he is doing broadcast for the Oakland Oaks. And the next year he played for the Oakland Oaks and played brilliantly. Unfortunately, the Oakland Oaks weren't going to last very long because they had attendance issues. And they moved to Washington. And then, of course, he was unhappy going to Washington because he was going from next door to across the country. And to make matters even worse, the Washington Caps franchise in the old ABA was a West Coast franchise, if you can believe it. 
So in other words, every time they played, they had to play in the West Coast. They had to go all the way across the country for every game. Incredible. So I, I know it's a long-winded answer, but I do remember what it was like for him to go to the Oakland Oaks. He was an immediate impact player. He was one of the greatest ABA players of all time. Played for the Nets, of course, later. He balked at going to the Virginia Squires. Uh, and then he was court-ordered to go back to the, the Warriors in the early 70s before they won the title, I think 72, 73. And they won the title, I think, in 75. Talking to Roy Firestone here on the Jake Feinberg Show. And, and we talked off-air a couple weeks ago, and you said that nobody or very few people have the acumen, the basketball IQ that Rick, oh, yeah. Rick Barry possessed. And I was hoping that you could talk to the audience about a specific time, something that he either shared with you or that you saw. Could you talk about that acumen in a specificity to give the audience an idea of how sure. of his court presence and how bright he was? Well, first of all, Rick Barry is a very complicated individual. I really truly mean that he was a guy who, I can't usually use the word misunderstood, Jake, because he was understood by a lot of people. He was not a touchy-feely guy. He wasn't. He was not a lovable guy. He was not somebody who was, um, he was respected, but he was not, he was despised by a lot of players. But I'm going to get into that in a little bit later in, in, in a few moments, because I also think if there was an area where he was overlooked, if not um, underrated, it was in his ability to size of what was going on on the court. And I'll give you some specifics in a second. But Rick Barry was, even though people viewed him as a selfish guy because of the way he talked, he was one of the most unselfish players I've ever been around. He was a team player. In fact, he changed his game several times in professional basketball at stops uh, both in the ABA and then even back to the NBA, where he was not so much an inside player, became an outside shooter and a passer. In fact, he was one of the great court generals um, I can ever recall in, in any sport for a player who could score like that. Um, so Rick Barry was always about getting the ball to the right people at the right time. He was a coach many times in his career later, uh, but mostly at a level of the CBA or the American basketball uh, leagues and new leagues and things like that. But he was never a guy utilized properly for his basketball knowledge. And he was deeply knowledgeable um, about strategy. He was a great color analyst, which, which we can get into in a few moments. He knew the game up and down better than anybody probably I've ever known, had better court sense even than Magic Johnson, in my opinion. But the problem is, and it was the tragic flaw of him uh, for, for Rick Barry, was he had a personality issue because he just couldn't stand mediocrity or the lack of preparation or the lack of execution. And he told people that. Right. And because of that, he alienated teammates, and coaches, everybody, it seems like. Very few people will stand up and say, I really love the guy. Very few. But I think he was a lot more complicated than he was a bad guy. He was had a bad attitude. It's just too, too much more complicated. Can you, you know, Roy, you're doing, you're waxing poetic here. Can you, let's, because it's too simplistic to say that he was a bad guy. He was a perfectionist. Uh, Correct. And he pushed himself to these standards and had didn't have any tolerance or sympathy for anybody who didn't rise to that level. Can you, what made him, or in your mind, what, what, what were the factors that made him a complicated, was he a genius? And okay. I mean, can you talk about well, his complications? Yeah. Well, let me give you a perfect example of a comparison. 
and he was a little bit, a lot more beloved, but he was about the same kind of player, and that's Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant had a ton of enemies. Kobe Bryant had a lot of people that he played with couldn't stand him. He, you know, he, Dwight Howard was one. But you put Kobe Bryant and Rick Barry on the same court, I promise you they would have gotten along. Because <laughs> both understood that they had to do it the right way. And Rick Barry had a difficult time with his personality and it, literally physically the looks on his face, the, the smirks, the rolling of the eyes, the arrogance, the perceived arrogance. But, you know, I'm going to say something on this show now. If you ever have Rick Barry on, you can play it back. Rick Barry was one of the finest all-around people I've ever known in the game in terms of the on-court presence. He, he knew the game. He was an enormously talented scorer. He could shoot like nobody's business. He was the, the best foul shooter in the history of the game. He had an over 900% success rate and his foul shooting. Imagine that today, by the way. Right. Uh, but his tragic flaw was he, he didn't know how to be tactful. He did not know how to treat people in the, because he was so angered by mediocrity and poor execution that it, it, he had no filter, just like Kobe Bryant. Very similar players in mm. that way. Wow, this is fa- So, I mean... Can you talk about uh, some like just the, did cats like Jerry West and Julius mm-hmm. Irving, did they did they respect Rick or did they like him? Well, Jerry West, you know, he works with Rick right now or, or sees Rick a lot because Rick works in radio in 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 the Warriors broadcasts, so he sees him a lot. I think, ironically, maybe not to the same extent. But I think Jerry West is also a similar player, but harder on himself than he was on other players. Jerry West had no patience for mediocrity and poor play. Um, so, so Jerry West would be hard to, uh, to, to, to think that he hated Rick Barry. He might not have liked him, but I think he would have respected him. However, people like Julius Irving and, you know, maybe Barkley, they, I'm sure it wouldn't have worked real well because Rick was difficult uh, in terms of how he talked to people. Although Barkley was also tough on people, too. Uh, Julius less so. Uh, I, I just think that in an era in an era of players like LeBron, who pretty much take it on their own, the shoulders to, to win the games when they have to win on his own, he can do it. Rick could do that, too. But Rick was much more, interestingly enough, a team-oriented player and if, if he didn't get, you know, the kind of output from his team that he thought was, it was, was indicated, he would absolutely uh, look, look around and, and, and say, I do not want to be part of this, this, whole, this whole package here. And he would, he would protest it. He would tell people to their face. He'd get into shouting matches and inside locker rooms. So the two players you, you mentioned, Jerry West and I think you said Julius Irving. Yes. I, I don't think they were, that, that he was their cup of tea. But, but I'm telling you, the irony of all of this is Rick Barry would have been a hell of a coach. Uh, but the problem is he wasn't a people person, never had the ability to be a people person. So uh, and I think it did come from part of it his childhood. You know, his father-in-law at one point was the, was the coach at Miami and the Oakland Oaks. Bruce Hale, yeah, way. that's right. Yeah. Bruce Hale. So uh, basketball was everything in his life. Four of his five kids played professional basketball. Four. 
That's astonishing if you think about it. <laughs> well, and, yeah, I mean, that's – you know, I, I want to this – is, this is really important, though. I mean, do you – can you talk about uh, specifically how Rick Barry innovated – the game of basketball mm-hmm. innovated the game of basketball. Well, he was the first. He, he was he was the first point forward, essentially right. before Magic Johnson. You know, uh, or, or you know, some people look at Magic Johnson as the power guard, so to speak, because he was so he was six nine. Uh, he could play guard. He could play forward. But Rick Barry was like that too. Rick Barry was a prolific scorer who could shoot. From, I mean, one of the greatest shooters ever. Right up there with Larry Bird. I mean, an amazing shooter, three-point, you name it. But he changed his game, and he became an assist guy, a rebound guy, and, an, and not, in the, not so much in the paint. He'd go out and, 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 and dictate the court. Uh, he'd be a court general, especially late in his career, in, in the late period with the Rockets, uh, and before that, a little bit with the Warriors themselves. You know, Al Adels who would later be the coach of the Warriors, didn't like him. He didn't talk for years with Al Adams. Butch Beard didn't talk to him. Jamal Wilkes didn't talk to him. However, there were some players that loved him, and, uh, but, but ne- never publicly said so, that got along great with him. But they were few and far between. And uh, I, I just think that Rick was, was a guy who was a, a way ahead of his time, innovative, he was a, he changed the position, the forward position. It wasn't just a big tall guy. He could shoot. He could move the ball up the court, and he knew how to handle the basketball. Brilliant guy, probably one of the most brilliant players in terms of intellect, the game intellect of anybody I've ever known. Did you? Um, I, I've read, I've watched some uh, some interviews with him going back to like you know the mid seventies, and and he is always talking about feeling hurt by the criticism and always wanting to be liked. And he he reminds me of this person who is, you know, literally, you know, like, you know, sort of has the ability to sort of, you know, put off everybody in the room, but yet he's still running after them saying, please be my friend. What, what was that? How do you explain? I mean, did you, how do you, how do you just, how do you rationalize that situation when you know, you have, I, I know this speaks to the complication, but it's like, you have a guy who has huge expectations of himself and his teammates, has no way mm-hmm. of really giving positive leadership. He, he rather he criticizes, right. but yet he still wants right. he still wants to be loved. I mean, can you break? The, can you right. riff on that? Sure. Well, first of all, um, this is important. It's so ironic because today, you know, radio and TV reward people with opinions, and the more pointed the opinions are, and the more incendiary, if you will, opinions there are, the more you get a job. Rick's doing radio in, in San Francisco, and every single day he's ripping on people and supporting a few, but mostly not. Mostly they're criticisms. You get rewarded now to being a critic. It, back in the 60s and 70s, it was the last thing people wanted. It was unprofessional to be critical, either as a player or even a broadcaster. He's both. So he, he, inherent to, to Rick Barry was, was a, criti- a critic. He was hard on, really hard on himself. Really hard. I used to know his brother. We sat together at the ABA games in Miami with the Miami Floridians. When Rick ever come down, the brother would be ripping on on Rick. So Rick was murder on himself. But the the other thing is that if you look at the overall scheme of, I don't really think he's a true narcissist. But I think there were some elements to him that where he'd walk into a room and he would just sort of take over because his opinion mattered more than most people 
because he knew more. And he, but, he, and he, but he did not know how to, to, to be warm and friendly. You know, he's, I think he's been married three times. And while that's not an indictment, listen, people make mistakes in life. It does speak to the fact that he interpersonal relationship issues, <laughs> even with his own kids. There was periods of time, and I don't know if it's still open-ended now, that at least two of his kids never spoke to him, even after they made it big into the pros. I know John Barry was one of them. And John Barry is a broadcaster, and a good one, one of the best. But they, they, they did not like the way his father, uh, the, all the boys pretty much, did not like the way the father talked to them and acted towards them and, and felt um, you know, he needed to say stuff. He just didn't have the ability. He was never not just a warm and fuzzy guy, but he was so direct and so excruciatingly hard on both himself and others that it just was lost after a while in, 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 the, in the translation. It was worse than a Bobby Knight because, you know, Bobby Knight had a lot of qualities to him that, that players really did like and really loved. But, but Rick didn't have the other side. He just didn't have the other side. And he tried, and he kept making the same mistakes over and over again, but he was not ever going to be a guy that was going to be regarded as, you know, oh, well, you know, that's just Rick. We all love him, but, you know, he's, he's just being Rick. He was never that guy. They just said they couldn't stand him, and and that not too bad because uh, I think if he could, he's seventy two years old now. If he could do it all over again, if he could try, if he could do it differently, and, and he knew how to talk to people, uh, I think he would have been better received. But make no mistake, we're talking about certainly the top one of the top fifteen players of all time. But I can make an argument that he's one of the great forwards, if not in the top three greatest forwards of all time. This guy was the complete deal. No, I mean, I you know, Roy, I'm, I, I, you know, you're you're, you're just doing. I love I love talking to you, man. I just can you, if you want, if if uh, why would you want to see a documentary on Rick Barry? Um, because I think it's about excellence. I'm always fascinated by excellence. I I I I've met and talked to literally thousands of people about that subject, and very few people uh, were as as controversial in the pursuit of excellence. Certainly, Bob Knight was one. Um, I think I think Rick Barry certainly was one. There were people who were just so over overwhelmingly hard. I mean, I think you could make an argument that Popovich is sort of like a little bit like Rick Barry. The players, some of the players love him. Privately, but publicly, they can't stand him because he's always ornery and angry. I think Nick Saban could be somebody like that, but Rick, Rick didn't have any of that tact. He just didn't have the ability to, to be tactful, and and and, and talk to people in a manner, especially in this day and age, where players who can't don't have to put up with it because they're making tens of millions of dollars, and they could say, you know, screw you, the hell with you, I, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm I'm getting paid wasn't that way in the 70s. All he cared about was winning. All he ever cared about was winning. Um, can you share a personal story between you and Rick? I mean, did he come on Did he come on your show? And, uh, many you, times. Talk, many, many, talk, many, many, talk many about times. a seminal conversation or a, or a time when you, I, when you had him, uh, when you opened him up. I think, uh, well, first of all, Rick came on several times. He was somewhat of a, an analyst for us for our show. Uh, he must have been on ten times over the years. Uh, I think this is going to sound strange after all I've just said about him. 
I think I think that I, I really saw a side of Rick that he didn't show a lot of people because he, he cared. He cared. About, I made him laugh a lot, and he was a guy who could laugh, and he loved to tell to tell stories. Uh, he had some t- personal favorites in his in his game uh, in the sport, uh, but when he came on my show, he would talk about how. It, it, you know how he really worried. He really worried about his relationship with his boys and his relationship with women more than even basketball. And he and he, I remember he got. I'll never forget this. He got emotional and he got. And I, you know, people always do the cliche with me about making him cry, which is. Uh, we'll do another show about that. Well, yeah, no, I mean, who cares? Yeah, I mean, and by the way, and by the way, I'm not ashamed of it or you know unproud of it, but. It's such a cliche. It's so. It's. I mean, I did five thousand shows. You might have had twenty people cry. That's below, I think, the level. But that's what people remember. Anyway, Rick came on our show and he was talking about his marriage that was falling apart, literally on the show uh, that he was separated and he got his eyes got all filled up and he says it's really, it's really something when you know somebody loves you that you have you you can't find a way to show that love back. And I remember something like that, and he had he. Had, it was a relatively new marriage that was falling apart again. So I think he felt uh, wounded by all of it. And it would, that's something I, I'll never forget. And he's also been involved in a lot of projects. He's had shoe deals and uh, he's had orthopedic type of shoe deals. He's also had, uh, you know, a, a uh, sweaters. I think he worked with, he, he's had like clothing lines, you name it. He's tried a lot of things. He, he should have been, he could have been loved. He was, he'll never be the loved person, certainly, that anybody would want in life. Everybody wants to be loved, of course, ultimately. And I don't think that he had the ability to get love back because he couldn't show love. He really couldn't. He had a tough time with it. Roy, let's do a full hour uh, uh, in either later this month or in October. We can we can uh, go over a myriad of things, including a lot of music. Okay, okay? and I and I really, really thank you for helping me build this foundation for Rick Barry. I hope we can get th- some momentum from this and uh, have a beautiful day, brother. My pleasure. Thank you, Jake, and I'll talk to you next month, perhaps. Definitely. All right, man. Be good. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. We'll be right back with Billy Ryan on the Jake Feinberg Show.